Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. Welcome to You Beauty, Mamma Mia's podcast for your face. I'm Lee Campbell and this is You Beauty's first ever wildcard episode. Now, what is a wildcard, I can hear you asking? Good question. The listeners of this show simply cannot get enough. So each month, we're going to give you more of what you want. It's called wildcard because it could be absolutely anything. It might be a deep dive into behind the scenes of a reality TV show. It might be sitting down with one of the world's best experts. It might be me interrogating Kelly. Who knows? Today, we're going to kick off with a chat with a skincare guru I've been dying to sit down with. Dr. Shamala Gunathesan is an award-winning dermatologist and a fellow at the Australasian College of Dermatology. Also known as Shami, Shamala has trained and worked extensively in Melbourne and also London with her dermatology fellowship at the Columbian University in New York. She has done genetic research at Harvard University and has a passion for epigenetics in its role in skin aging. More specifically, she's into transformational dermatology, where skin is a vehicle for overall wellness. So really, we could not be talking to a better expert. To be honest, the list of her achievements is way too long to keep going. So let's jump in and chat about skin. Shami, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I mean, this is so exciting. I feel like this isn't a personal consult for me, but I've got so many <laughs> amazing questions. I want to start with pores because a lot of listeners really have issues with pores. So can you tell me, is there a difference between blocked pores and blackheads? And if there is or isn't, how do we treat both of those? So pores are just openings on the top layer of your skin and they connect to your hair follicle underneath. You know, we have this genetic imprint for pores. You can't really change them or you can't shrink them. I think that's the question that I get asked a lot by my clients. And essentially it looks clogged either with a whitehead or a blackhead. So the same substance, it's still a bit of debris, sweat, oil, but when it looks like a blackhead, it's actually oxidized with the atmosphere. So like the oxygen oxidizes that top layer of dirt and it looks black, whereas if you've got skin over it, it'll look like a little whitehead. Oh, and so you can't shrink them. Yes. You're saying you can't shrink them. No, I'm all about optimizing the appearance or making them look better. So you can definitely do it that way. But if someone were to go, can you permanently shrink my pores? I would probably say you can't. No. Okay. So treating those blocked pores, whether blackhead, sebum, is there a different approach for each of those? Probably a similar approach. So you got the pore, which is this little canal and it's lined by skin cells so if we use products like salicylic acid or lactic acid it kind of teaches the epithelium or the lining of that pore to turn over well so then you don't get gunks of layers of scale and skin falling into that little canal you would 
kind of have that clean, wispy look if you use certain products. Mm. I'm big on topicals like the salicylic acids and lactic acids for that proper skin regulation or skin renewal and retinols. Retinols do, you know, if you plump up your collagen and your elastin, which kind of your pore sits in that mesh of tissue, if that's tighter, more plump, then the pore is going to look better, more rigid and kind of smaller in appearance. Okay. And so how often should we be doing that? If you've got the right salicylic acid strength and lactic acid in particular, you could probably start using it twice a week and then three times a week and probably nightly, depending on the concentration, you know, how much you put on. I think we all get a bit heavy handed with actives and we put way too much than we need. And Mm -hmm. that's to our detriment. Yes, I know the U Beauty group loves their actives and sometimes go overboard and they're like, help, what do I do? Are those the same ingredients that are going to help with the visual appearance of pores? So we know we can't actually shrink the size, but what do we do with the visual appearance to make them look, you know, not as open as perhaps they are? Exactly. Those products will do that because with the actives, including lactic acid and salicylic acid, we know salicylic acid is attracted to sebum. So it'll kind of go down to the depth of the pore, melt the oil and make the pore or the canal look cleaner. So once it's not bulging or dilated, it'll give us the appearance of a narrow canal, which will look slimmer, tighter and not so obvious. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so pores, that's sorted. Talk to me about squeezing because I know we're not allowed to squeeze. Yes. <laughs> so say you've got a big white head. It's like, you know, it's one of those big ones. You really can't go to work with that on your face. <laughs> what can we do? Or, or is, is squeezing just you're absolutely going to demand that we do not squeeze? You know, it's very hard as a dermatologist, I would say the absolute mantra would be not squeezing, except in certain circumstances. As you said, the whitehead, if it's not painful and it's just a simple whitehead but a bulge underneath your skin, yes, pricking the top layer of your skin very gently and popping out that white material is actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a tender little pussy spot, you want to stay away from it just because you could inflame the surrounding tissue. And we know with inflamed tissue, you you release these chemicals called cytokines and interleukins, and they kind of destroy the surrounding tissue, giving you scarring. Right. So that was my question, because you always are told, don't do it. But I think knowing the why makes us more disciplined, because it's because we can damage Mm. the surround and also scar. Is that right? Spot on, you know, absolutely spot on. I mean, my my little home remedy that, you know, sometimes if it's really inflamed and you really can't walk out with that bulging cyst or pimple is do this only at night. So, you know, you kind of prep your skin, have a nice warm shower, pat dry, and then I make a little paste of benzoyl peroxide and you can get that, you know, over the counter. Mm-hmm. It can be 2.5% or 5%. So a tiny squidge of that, a bit of Himalayan salt mm-hmm. and a magic potion of 1% hydrocortisone. So it's a little steroid cream used very sparingly just over the counter. Mix that all up and just put it on that inflamed spot for 20 minutes, wipe it off, go to bed and pray hard. And, you know, <laughs> I love um, that. <laughs> that sounds but, much less invasive yeah. too. You still feel like you're in control because you're doing something about the spot, but you're not hacking at it with your fingernails. Exactly. 
Exactly. Okay, so we know what to do moving forward. What if we have been naughty and squeezed in the past? You know when you kind of get those faded pigment Mm. marks? Anything we can do to fade those? I would straight away get onto a vitamin C serum and a vitamin B3, so a niacinamide serum. These two are very good at fading pigmentation, reducing inflammation in the skin, and I would be diligently using sunscreen. So you're not going to get exacerbation of that pigmentation. But a B3 and a vitamin C serum will definitely help break up the pigment. And if you've got a non-irritating retinol or a vitamin A at night, that'll also certainly help with kind of taking those top layers of skin off gradually. Fantastic. And retinol was actually my next question. We get a lot of questions in here at U-Beauty about the use of vitamin A and retinols. Can you talk a bit about these products? Obviously, it's a whole topic in itself. We could go on to another podcast, but (laughs) there's over-the-counter, there's prescription. Can you just give us a little recap on vitamin A and retinol? It's a huge, huge topic. Essentially, vitamin A and retinol is what we believe is the true anti-aging gift to our skin because it plumps up collagen, elastin, you know, smooths out fine wrinkles. The issue is vitamin A in its most active form, which is retinoic acid, can be quite irritating. And so the dilemma that we face is you use it at night and the next day or the days after you can look quite red, peely, stinging and burning. And so that can be a rate limiting step in our skincare regimen. So the real beauty or the importance is finding the right retinol strength, but also the type of retinol. So it's confusing out there because 1% being the strongest actually may not be the right thing for your skin. And what I would tell our listeners is that you almost got to find the right product that's going to bring the retinoic acid and the retinol esters. So these are all the byproducts of retinol that's going to penetrate deep into your skin with the right vehicle so then it goes into your top layer of your skin the epidermis and then your dermis and you want to have this little chemical reaction where you're getting your retinol esters converting into retinoic acid and your skin will take as much as it needs without irritating your skin barrier too much so it's sure so there are quite clever products on the market now that can yes. do that you, so it's not stronger prescription is always better and always for everyone because you can do damage with these products can't you absolutely i mean it'll be the very rare patient that i would actually give the dermatology prescription retinoic acid or retrieve or tretinoin that we use because it can be quite sensitizing mm-hmm. so the cosmeceutical industry is caught on very well and so it's all about what you combine or what you conjugate the retinoic acid with that makes a difference. Okay, great. I'm so glad to hear that because I think, yeah, a lot of people are running out and asking for their GPs for scripts and whacking it all over mm. their face and then flaking and redness and they're thinking, what's going on? So it's good to hear that it's not always the approach to go for the strongest, you know, most insane prescription. No, and the other thing is, you know, the the, the prescriptions that we give, especially the cream ones, they're a bit too oily for some people's skin type. So you've also got to get the right medium once again so that you're not clogging your pores too much. Sure, and that it's elegant and nice to wear because at the end of the day, skincare should be fun, right? Yes, it should be part of a nice calming ritual, I say. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. 
That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Okay, pigmentation is another big one. If someone solved melasma, I think they'd be a billionaire. Yes. It seems to be one of the hardest things to treat. Why is that? And and can you explain a little bit why melasma happens in the first place? So melasma is when you've got brown mottled hyperpigmentation or excess pigmentation normally on the face, so the forehead, upper cheeks. For whatever reason, you know, your melanocytes, which are the pigment-producing cells in the basal layer of your epidermis, which is the top layer of your skin, is overproducing pigment. So the commonest reason in melasma would be hormonal fluctuations. So women will find that being on the pill brings it on. If you're pregnant or breastfeeding, and those kind of changes make your melanocytes produce more pigment. Mm-hmm. And sun is one of the biggest triggers, of course. It's a very interesting beast. I mean, I, I love treating melasma because you've got to kind of attack it from all angles. And, you know, there's a saying you can mess with everything in life, but you don't mess with your melanocytes. <laughs> because, you know, you irritate them too much. They might go back quietly, not produce as much pigment, and then bang, you've got too much pigment production. So that, I think that's another thing with melasma, like people wrongly use some harsh lasers or dermabrasion or, you know, things like that, that aggravate the skin barrier, thereby making these melanocytes scream out with more pigment. I can definitely relate to that in the past, trying to treat my hyperpigmentation and melasma. I've gone really hardcore with the treatments and it was great. And then the minute I stepped in the sun, even just to go to the car almost, Bam, my pigment's back worse than, that, than yeah. ever. So what is some steps that we can use uh, or ingredients we should look for that could help, you know, even just start to fade those hyperpigmentation? So real goodies are, once again, vitamin C. Vitamin C is your go-to active for pigmentation in general. Firstly, it's a strong antioxidant, so it mops up all these free radicals in your skin. It also augments your sun protection when it's combined with vitamin E. Mm. So together, they give you kind of added sun protection. Vitamin B similarly would help with skin hydration, break up pigment, it's an antioxidant. So those two are key in melasma treatment or any pigmentation because, you know, what we haven't touched on is people get something called post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation where that susceptible individual, even with a scratch, you tend to heal with a bit of a brown mark or if you've got an acne spot, it heals with that bit of darker pigmentation. So Yes, definitely. There are agents in cosmeceutical skincare which have things like arbutinin, kojic acid, retinol will also help fade away the pigmentation. You can get um, a 2% hydroquinone which Mm -hmm. as a dermatologist we've got a lot of experience with and we might actually start with a higher strength if someone comes in to see us and we can make that specially compounded. But very exciting with melasma is we founded this new agent called transamic acid which is a tablet that we use for women with heavy periods, but we've got evidence that even topical or oral versions of it can actually improve melasma. Wow. The theory around melasma or, or the 
you know, pathophysiology or the background behind melasma keeps evolving. So it may not just be about melanocytes not behaving and producing too much pigment. It also might be how our vessels, our vasculature or our vessel production or healing is not very great. And so we we are very keen on 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 fixing melasma and once again it's i'm so glad to hear that as a female who suffers from it i hope that someone's out there researching it away and can come up with a you know an easy solution sometime soon it's a commitment to like i I never tell a melasma patient you know you're you're going to be fixed forever you've kind of got to work at it you know reapplying your sunscreen having a broad-based sunscreen something with a bit of visible light makeup is actually a good one for melasma because Melasma's very it's creating um, a barrier. It is because with melasma, as you've said, you know, once you've irritated the melanocytes, even visible light or blue light from your screen time can aggravate melasma. And having visible light protection is a tricky one because not all sunscreens have it. So iron oxides, which is found in, you know, a good old fashioned foundations yeah. and concealers, they have offer some protection. So for once, makeup is not the evil. Here. <laughs> yeah. Once a dermatologist is saying wear makeup. And that brings me to my point of sunscreen because it's one of my passion points. I would sing about it to the cows come home. Everyone should wear sunscreen. Why is it so important? How damaging is the sun? Not so much from a cancer perspective, but from an aging perspective. Mm. Is the sun really as bad as we're told? In short, yes. So, you know, I'm big on sun protection, but I'm also very conscious about vitamin D. And I think we need to either supplement and maybe get some sun on our back and chest, you know, 10 minutes, twice a week uh, when the UV is low. But there is really no reason to have a barefaced exposure to the sun because the sun is so aging on the face and we don't make much vitamin D on our face. So UVA, UVB are the culprits. So a sunscreen, a good sunscreen will protect you from those harmful rays. And what people don't understand is UVA, which is a deeper penetrating, um, is actually more aging. So it kind of destroys the collagen and your elastin. So things get saggier. You get a lot more free radical damage and oxidation of your skin cells. So it's, it's you're right. You're right to be you know, um, pushing sunscreen. (laughs) Uh, And also because it's the only good preventer out there, you know, that we actually know works. It really is an anti-aging product when you think about it. Oh, I say the the two things you would look into for starting a skincare regimen is a sunscreen and a gentle cleanser. Those two and you're on your way. Oh, that's fantastic to know and so simple. You briefly touched on dermabrasion before. We get a lot of questions about microdermabrasion as a treatment to go into salon and have. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Is that damaging? Does it depend on who's doing it? I think it depends on who's doing it. It's not the evil that, you know, some people think it is. It's basically a deep exfoliation. So the idea would be that you would have a diamond brush that will exfoliate that top layer of your skin very, very gently so that your other actives can penetrate a bit better. I guess where dermatologists have concerns is that people think it's the panacea for you know, acne scars or active acne, rosacea, dry skin, eczema, and all of that would be worsened by microdermabrasion because you're altering that skin barrier. 
So yes, you get a temporary glow, which is only temporary because it lasts only seven days, any beneficial effect, but you Mm. might be compromising your skin. But if you've got robust, normal skin, I don't think it's detrimental. It might, it might actually make you look good for the day or two, but we've got so many good, more powerful tools in our arsenal, like, you know, amazing chemical peels, actives, lasers that kind of give you that more long lasting effect. Mm. And probably without the compromise to the skin, perhaps, if it's not performed correctly. Absolutely. Another area we get asked about metaphorically and actually physically is the eye area. I think as we're all tired and coming to the end of 2020, people want to know, does caffeine work? Is there anything they can do about dark circles? Is it hereditary? Is it even to do with people's um, heritage? Well, all of the above. You know, I think that's one thing that would be so individual. For example, if you've got puffy eye bags underneath your eye, I do think it makes sense that a caffeine-based eye serum or cream would help depuff that in the same way that it give you temporary relief from you know, putting some cool chamomile tea bags on your eyes or cucumber slices because that will depuff that congestion in your uh, periorbital area. But Then you've also got melasma that can extend all the way up to your lower orbital rim. So from that perspective, you know, the pigmentation can be improved with vitamin C and vitamin B3. And then we come to good old genetics Mm -hmm. where, you know, either you've got a deeper inset of your orbital area or you've got venous congestion. Some people just have more prominent veins and that can look dusky underneath the skin. Yes, so it's kind that's of me, I don't, no matter how much concealer I yes. pile on, I still it's my vein that's always popping out. And I just it looks like my mascara is actually smudged, but it's my vein, which is really interesting. Yes, I think you know that's an angle we have to look at too. And with the aging process, you do lose a bit of that volume in your upper cheeks. Got lots of these fat pads in our upper cheek, and if that goes downwards or retracts down, the eye circles look a bit deeper and more prominent so there's a few things you could do but certainly using a a vitamin a eye cream that would help with the wrinkles and just um, improve the luminosity of that area makes sense but it's such a multifactorial thing that i don't think one cream is going to fix all of these different underlying causes if only. We're all wishing for that one cream. I honestly ah. could. I feel like I could chat to you for the rest of the day, but I've got one more question before we have to wrap up. We hear a lot about dairy perhaps being inflammatory and could be the cause or contributor to some skin issues. What's the go with dairy and skin? So as dermatologists, we've studied this quite extensively. And I think, you know, the research does show that in certain individuals, dairy can be an aggravating factor for acne, breakouts, rosacea. And it's interesting, it's not all forms of dairy that have been shown in peer-reviewed articles. It's more skim milk, for example. So I put it together as, you know, anything that spikes your insulin or anything that's sugar-heavy would give you inflammation. So it's the theory of inflammatory pollutants to your gut. There are kind of postulations that, you know, when you drink milk or dairy, you're spiking something called the insulin growth factor one, which is similar to a growth hormone. And so then you are Mm. getting more testosterone modulation or your hormonal fluctuations than then affect your acne. So dairy and acne has actually been shown to be a a contributing factor in many cases. So moderation, I guess, is the key. Sure. 
And before anyone cuts out a food group like that, they should come and see an expert like you, shouldn't they? (laughs) Totally, totally. Oh, look, thank you so much. That was so interesting. I feel like we're going to have to get you back on again because I've still got so many questions to ask. But thank you so much for for your time. It was brilliant to have you on the show. No, it was so fun. You know, these are brilliant (laughs) questions and it's the, you know, the great banter that you have. It's, It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 